Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Son of a Blitch podcast. I'm your host, George Blitch. Today, I had the honor and privilege of sitting down and having a wonderful conversation with Jim Shockey. For those who are not familiar, Jim is a Canadian writer and outdoorsman. He has published over a thousand articles in his lifetime. He is the television host and producer of multiple award-winning shows, and he is just a wonderful, wonderful human being. He's also the founder of the Hand of Man Museum, uh, which I highly encourage you guys to all go check out online and uh, in person if you're ever through the Vancouver Island area in Canada. And uh, today we can add another thing to his amazing list of accomplishments, and that's being a novelist. This book, Call Me Hunter, is his debut novel. Uh, it comes out today, October 17th. It's in stores everywhere. And I, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. I believe it's going to be a bestseller. It is a phenomenal book, a page turner. And it is, as he describes, an autobiographical abstract fictional thriller. And it really is that the threads that you can find throughout this book tell his story of his life. And it's such a wonderful life at that. And this book, it's just, it's hard to put it down. It is a phenomenal book. And he talks about uh, this in the podcast. So I won't bore you with the details now because he's going to be telling you about it and he does it a lot better than I do. But this book is phenomenal, guys. You're going to love it. Check out this podcast. Enjoy uh, you know, this conversation. Jim really opened up and shared a lot of personal things. And I was just astounded and just honored. It's one of my favorite uh, interviews I've done to date. And uh, you know, he is just such a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, I'm thankful, Jim, that you joined us today. And thank you all for listening to the podcast and watching it if you're on the YouTube platform. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, I do this because I love to share the stories, messages, and works of all these amazing people I've come across in my life. And uh, Jim is one that fits all those bills. What a great guy. Uh, again, everyone, go check it out. Order it today. Call Me Hunter by Jim Shockey. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Without further ado, here is the interview with Jim Shockey. Hey, Jim, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Uh, well, good as can be these days. Uh, you know, it could be better, but uh, yeah, ma making it making it through day to day right now. Well, I, I, I completely understand, and I, I know this is so much going on in your life right now. This uh, your book is going to be coming out. This podcast will actually come out on October seventeenth, the day that Call Me Hunter will be in stores. Uh, this is the advanced reader copy over above me here is is the official release, and um, you know, for those who are just hearing about this for the first time or may not be familiar with, you know, anything about this book. Uh, can you go ahead and kind of talk to us a little bit about it? Maybe kind of give us a quick synopsis so we can kind of maybe dive deeper into some other questions, but maybe just a, a brief description of this book um, and, and its content and tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Yeah. You know, I knew at the age of 10, the A, that I'd have a museum, which that's where I'm coming to you from right now. But uh, also that I'd be a novelist. I, I was a voracious reader by the age of 10. So I started my first novel then, and I realized real quick, you know, I mean, A, I couldn't spell, B, I couldn't write, C, and most importantly of all, I didn't have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew, okay, you know, the museum, I can start collecting insects and pretty rocks and fishing lures and seashells. But a book, a novel, to be a novelist, to me, you had to live life first. So, sure. so I started living, and I, I dedicated my my life to living, uh, literally, you know, and, and figuratively. The um, 
1993, I, I sat down and I, I started my novel again. Um, I penned those first lines that it starts with. Zhivago is dead. I hunted him down and I killed him. You know, I penned those lines and I wrote that first page. And I, and as I started thinking, when I, you know, sat at my well typewriter at that time and, and, uh, you know, thought about it, I, I, I went, you know, I still haven't lived enough. Mm-hmm. I still have not lived enough life. There's two ways you can write. You can be a novelist. You can, you can go to school and, and become, you know, get a piece of paper that says you're, uh, you know, have a degree in literature. Um, or creative writing, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down and you start writing. That's one way to do it. The other way, my way, the only way I know how to do it is is uh, is to live. And so in 93, I said, okay, I still got to keep going. Um, in 2016, I decided that my last international trip, and I was traveling over 300 days a year for 20 years at that point, uh, I, I decided Mozambique, October 2019, I was done. So I was booked that far in advance, three years in advance. So 2019 November, I sat down and figured, okay, it's time. You've you've lived. I mean, you better start at this point. You can't. You don't have a whole bunch more actual time to live this life. And and if I didn't start writing, I wouldn't get it done. So I uh, I sat down and and picked up those same lines. I go was dead. I hunted him down and I killed him and and wrote my story. So. You know, back to your original question, it, it it is literally and figuratively my story. It's an if you had to slot it in a category that doesn't exist, it would be uh, an autobiographical, fictional thriller. You know, uh, and I'd call it an abstract fictional thriller yeah. because it's not, it's 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 like I say in the preface, it's it's like cubism. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see what you're looking at. You know that it's a human being, but but it's abstracted. It doesn't quite fit. So that that's where I've I've used um, you know a, a literally a visual art to apply it to a written art, and and uh, that's where you ended up with uh, with Call Me Hunter. So it, it's my story. It's literally my story. I say that in the beginning, and that I I would love people. And I, again, I said it in the preface to to dig deep into it. D- dig like whatever you're reading in there. Go research it. Go find out. You know, <laughs> find out if it's true. And I think what what you know, you know how I feel about that is, and why it's like quicksand. If they keep fighting against suspended reality, you know, they they keep fighting against it and, and want to, they're going to struggle more. The more you struggle in quicksand, you know, the deeper you sink into that novel's hold, and and uh, so so, yeah, it, it's it's my story of of, and I say in there, you know, living a life beyond the pale. You know, it's not if there's a bell curve curve of lives how people live. You know, with the center being I don't know, downtown New York City with a job at a I don't know wherever. Mm-hmm. And everywhere you push out to the edges, I'm I'm definitely out on on the edges of of how people live their lives. So so that's that's what the story is about. It's a fictional book. I I tongue in cheek, I, I say that it's eighty percent fact, and the twenty percent that would put anybody in jail. That's the fiction part. So <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. It, it's it's it's. Um, I, I had a lot of fun writing it, and I, I'm. 
looking forward to to hearing what people think about it because it's different. It's it different, is different. It? Well, even like Jack Carr talked about it, one of your friends is like, it needs its own bookshelf. It is its own type of thing. There is that autobiographical element, the fictional the thriller, that abstract cubism type of thing where, you know, I found, and we'll kind of dive into this here, you know, it, it kind of starts out with Nyla getting a manuscript, um, this girl who's just, you know, kind of freshly out of college and she's working, you know, in the journalistic field and here she is, she gets a manuscript and I'll kind of maybe let you jump into that a little bit more, but in that manuscript, it's written to her. And as she's starting to read this manuscript and learning about that, oh, it's connected and it's written for her specifically. And this person knows her and she's going through this journey. You have, it's, it's a, a different like flashbacks of time. And I knew that when I realized that there was going to be some autobiographical elements to this, that this was going to be something that, hey, I need to fact check this. And so I did exactly what you suggest readers do. And I suggest everyone do that the same while she's fact checking things that she's getting in the manuscript. I'm fact checking your book and learning things about you, Canadian, uh, you know, national team water polo champion here. You've got, you know, your your time and your honorary um, stuff with, with the Canadian government there. There's so many things that the the main character one of the main characters has and you can see these time shots where you're placed in it and i see understand that idea of you having to live your life in order to be able to write this down because your story is all throughout this book yeah it's uh it's pretty cute i had someone else had an advanced reader copy and they, and they you know they, they said they delved into it. they said yeah but look you know i he said what am i gonna do ask Lonnie Anderson, you know, he's kind of snickering, thinking, okay, that's one that you couldn't. Well, and I, so I, I said, well, you know, it's if you're going to research, it's about desire. Uh -huh. and there's no limit to your ability except for your desire. And if you didn't dig deep, deep enough, so I just, you know, made a few do 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 Google, Google, Google. And, and I showed him, you know, because he, he was speaking about specifically a dinner that I reference in the novel at a restaurant in Vancouver with Lonnie Anderson, you know, WKRP in Cincinnati, uh -huh. Bert, wife of Burt Reynolds, um, and and Stephanie Zimblist, you know, who, who uh, played with Remington Steel, whatever his name was, and Michelle Lee, one of the biggest uh, soap opera stars in the 1980s, you know, a dinner with them. And, and, and another fellow, Laszlo George, the Hungarian photographer, who was the photographer on a movie that they were apparently doing. And then an absolutely beautiful, most beautiful woman that the character Icarus Hunter had ever seen in his life, you know, at this restaurant. And and so this this fellow was was um and Icarus, the character, was in the in that the dinner. And uh so he was kind of laughing, say, Yeah, yeah, I mean that's not possible. And and I said, So I I just sent him a a, a cast list of uh what is it, Tale of Three Wives? Um, and it's Lonnie Anderson, Stephanie Zimlist, and and um, Michelle Lee, and Louise Johan, which is my wife Louise's maiden name. You know, so he wouldn't have picked up the shocky, but the Louise Johan. And yeah. Laszlo George was the cinematographer on that particular uh, movie set. You know, so... It, you know, Lonnie Anderson can't deny it. She was there. I know she was there because I was there. Yeah, I was there in the restaurant, and so was Louise. You know, the most beautiful person, beautiful beyond beauty that this character had ever seen. 
So, so I, yeah, I mean, I'd love people just go ahead, just research it, find out about the art references, you know, go find it, find out. So oh. it, it, uh, it'll be interesting. I, I, and I think I even said in the preface that I hope somebody with a lot of money, you know, that just, you know, what tries to wash away this problem with the money hose because they, they'll run out of money. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, you know, and, and I say at the end, is it you know, is is it fiction, or maybe not? You know, it's it's uh, it's up to people to decide. Well, what is it that you hope that readers will take away from this book? And I think I also need to kind of preface too: you have a two book deal, and this is not the only book. Like there will be a continuation of this. Yes. Yes. Okay. So there will be more to to, for other people to dive into later. But as far as like, and we'll get to that. But what is it that you hope people can can grab from this book and take away um, from it in that experience? Tolerance, tolerance. The the what I've done in the in this book is I flipped the stereotypes. You know the the um, the antihero is is not. You know, the antihero is a hunter or becomes a hunter, mm. but there's no animals going to kill anyone that's listening to this that thinks they're going to, it's a book about hunting. It's not, but it absolutely 100% is. Right. Not is, not is, what is it? But I flipped the stereotype. So the antihero, uh, you know, who has his tragic human flaws is also a hunter, but also a, a deep thinker, a philosopher in a lot of ways exactly what the opposite of the stereotype in mainstream media would have hunters being, you know, the, the lout that spits on the floor with no higher sensibilities. So I flipped the stereotype and I've made the villain an animal rights extremist, you know, so you, and, and all through the book will play with people's, you know, their, their, their ideologies. So you think that this is good. You think this is wonderful. This is good. Yeah. I'm with this guy. And then all of a sudden you, you get, you get a, a you know a right hook that that lays you out that it's not what you think. You know, right and wrong is a cultural perspective. We all know what's right and wrong inherently, every one of us. So that means a lot of what we believe is is cultural perspective, how we were brought up, where we were brought up. And and in this world today, we really have to start tolerating each other and our points of view and realizing, no, the person's not stupid. You know, they're, they're not stupid. I'm not stupid, but there's, I'll guarantee there's a pile of people out there that think that I've got to be the most ignorant lout that ever walked this planet, you know, Neanderthal caveman, but I'm actually not. So if I'm saying something articulately, you know, I mean, educated and, and thoughtful about it and been around for a long time. So, you know, I technically I'm an elder, which mm-hmm kind of means I should have some wisdom from the, you know, six decades I've been on this planet. So maybe, maybe you're wrong about judging me. And that's what I've done in this book. I've I've created stereotypes, but then flipped them and flipped them and flipped them and and created cognitive dissonance with people when they look at something and believe this is the way it's going to be, but it's actually not the way it is. A quick story on that. I had a... um, Someone else got an advanced reader. I don't know who they were, but uh, they on Goodreads they made a uh, a review, <clears throat> and they said they only read up to the part where 
you know, the fictional character who's a young lady mm -hmm. is judging another character in her office that she works with. And she, the fictional character talking about a fictional character that she called him an insipid, uh, gender confused millennial with a man bun. Right. And that's, that was her. That was a, a bigoted, horrible comment. She was judging someone in her office. And the person said, I, you know, I never read past that. I will never, I was offended and I'm not, you know, I'm woke. I'm not going to, I won't read past this point. This is garbage and gave it a zero. And, and so, or one or whatever they, the lowest rating is. And, and, you know, I, it just astounds me that that person's ideology is such that they won't even read a work of fiction to see if maybe, and I know what happens. I know, right. I know the sequel. I mean, it's because I, I live the life. And, and and I know the character that she's judging and calls that. I know what he becomes in the future. There's a bit of a clue to you, to, to anybody that's actually into this and and looking forward to the next one. I know, you know, and, and this person doesn't know, but their own, I, I guess, closed-mindedness is keeping them ignorant. And and so, you know, who who's who's truly the who's truly the the intolerant person, you know, that person, you know, or the person that reads on and, and learns and, and then goes, oh, maybe I should rethink what I was, you know, my ideology. Maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe, maybe I'm not wrong. Maybe there's, they have a point of view. And, and that's what I'd like in this book for people to take away is tolerance. You know, we've been vilified and marginalized for probably 60 years now by mainstream media, people that live the outdoor yeah. lifestyle, feel stable living. We, you know, we go kill a deer and we eat it. You know, that makes perfect sense to us as naturalists, but we've been vilified as being, you know, again, like I say, louts, you know, throwbacks to, to some, you know, archaic age that we should, we'd rather forget and, and try and erase from our history. But it, it, you know they're wrong about it. They're they're just they're wrong, and and that's what I hope on this book. It's it's not a big world anymore. There's eight billion of us, yeah. And we better start at least trying to understand the other point of view from the other people. Because what are we going to do? Eat each other? And rats would do that if you shoved them into one box. Too that's many right. rats. They could that. So so like I say, tolerance is. I'm hoping what people will take away from this. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you've traveled all around the world. And that's something that when you travel and you meet people from various cultures, what you learn and the growth spiritually and emotionally and just mentally, like the things that you get from traveling all around these places and meeting all these people from cultures. And that's something you've celebrated in, in you know, your, your show and, you know, that in different times where, you know, even in your, in your books that you've written previous to this about your, you know, hunting world and like, that there's so much that you've gotten to be able to bring into your life. And then I think you talk about so much that is about that idea of tolerance and understanding. And, you know, to that example too, that you just mentioned the person who puts down the book, it's like characters develop. I mean, you look at, you know, Icarus and what he developed, you know, he was going one way. He was a part of the R world system and, you know, for if you want to maybe talk about our world and kind of maybe give people an idea of, of you know, that, the gathering, the connectivity and, and such, and, and you know, this the artwork world uh, that, that is that kind of dark shadow world, 
a little bit, maybe just kind of give people that idea of the kind of a synopsis of, of the storyline there too. But um, that there's there's characters in your book that have these advancements that continue to learn and develop, and it's it's uh, it, it's something that I think people are close minded to that idea. Who hasn't learned one thing and then gained another later on in their life? You know, yeah, of course it is. And that you know, you're you're speaking about our world. Uh, that's that's the organization in in the in the book that that uh, you know they they began with John Sotheby's you know way long time ago um, antecedent and and it, it was created to, to locate the greatest works of art in this world and and you know these are cultural objects uh, they're they're cultural treasures for these countries. But they, you know, the the this organization that's funded by very wealthy people that get together at something called the gathering, and then they auction off these these fine works of art. The rest of us, greater us, unwashed in the world, will never get to see these works of art. the 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 problem was that our world needed actual, you know, how do you find these great works of art, these masterpieces? You know, they they're hidden away. They're they're or somewhere in plain sight, but people don't recognize what they are. So, you know, the premise of this book is that there's some of us in this world, you know, 8 billion of us that are born with an innate ability to feel beauty, to feel it, to feel the spirituality of, of a piece. And whether they they feel it in, you know, Icarus, uh, Hunter, the man of sores, Sisu, he... He when, he when he sees the world in sepia tones, brown on brown, brown on brown, and that's how he sees the world. But when something of of unbelievable, you know, like from God, beauty is in front of him, he he reckon, he sees it in color. So that's his, you know, super talent, his gift. And that you know, others, you know, there's others. I you know the um, the villain uh, Javago. He he you know, senses it in, in like a, a smell. So it's like a, and he becomes a creature from the other world, Lovecraftian horror from the third dimension or fifth dimension that comes out and, and just crawls to the, you know, he feels, he feels beauty with, with a smell. So he, he follows it by sense, like a predator that's, that's blind, you know, a, a mole going after a, a worm underground. They just, you know, that's his sense. Um, Joan of Arc, another character, her she had it um, literally thrust upon her that that talent. So it doesn't mean you're it's necessarily innate. It can also be with uh, a sorrow so great that you you suddenly you know someone gets uh, idiot savant gets struck by lightning and the next day can play Mozart's you know sympathy in A, a minor mm -hmm. sympathy for the devil. I'm getting my I'm getting my symphonies mixed up. <laughs> the you know, so you it can also be thrust upon you. You can, you know, but but so our world needed to find these characters or these these operatives they call mm -hmm. them, that that had this, and that's what that's the premise of the story. That there's a young boy that that can't read. You know, his teachers, you know, told the mother he's you know with something wrong with him. Is he slow? Is he better take him to a psych, child psychiatrist? And um, when they do, they just the, the psychiatrist discovers that this kid is not just you know he, he he's not slow he's so beyond 
fast that there, there's just no measure for it. And so he's, you know, he's on the autistic spectrum, probably we would call it nowadays, but it's right. 1962. It didn't exist back then. You know, it didn't, there was no artistic spectrum. They didn't know what that was. So, but this, you know, and then the psychiatrist, child psychiatrist endeavors to learn more about this child. And of course that awakens, it hits a thread on that web that goes to our world. And uh, they they send a a character, Charlotte, to uh, take care of business, to make sure this kid doesn't, you know, nothing happens to this kid. He ends up under the our world umbrella because they need those characters. And he, he turns out to be um, along with Zhivago, the, the two greatest of the talents that have ever been discovered by our world in hundreds of years, uh, you know, with the ability to, to uh, locate these masterpieces for the, for the gathering to sell to these wealthy people. So that's, you know, that, that's the story of it. And, and it's, you know, it's deep state stuff in a way because, you know, this organization is so wealthy and they're, the people that patronize it are so powerful in the world that they control a lot of the world and what happens in the world, the wars. They can make the war, they can finish the war. They do it because war creates chaos and in chaos, there's opportunity for them to find these, you know, you know steal these, borrow these, replace them with fakes, masterpieces from museums around the world to bring them to the gathering and and you know uh, someone else a reviewer the other day asked me you know does our world exist and i said of course it does it absolutely does and and all any one of us listening to this right now just look around you look around you and see if you can't recognize the tenets of our world you know greed arvors power lust gluttony i mean the the seven deadly sins you know look around you they, of course, it exists, and organizations exist that are run by people that that's their entire existence is those, you know, those terrible vices. So yeah, our world exists. Of course, it does. And this this is the metaphor for you know what's happening in this world today. And and again, I'm hoping that by exposing that in a novel way, because you know we haven't been allowed to to say it out loud you'll be canceled you, you're not allowed to say it you know a conspiracy whoa you know you're you're a, you're a cuckoo it, it, you know and, and you get canceled and you're just a you're way out on the fringes but you know you can tell stories goodness sakes schultz and Nietzsche did it behind the iron curtain mm-hmm. you know look at the writers from the victorian era that were exposing you know, Alice in Wonderland. If you think that's not a metaphor, Gulliver's Travels. I mean, these are these are you. You know, Jonathan Swift. I mean, they, these guys they wrote these books because they weren't allowed to say what they were thinking. You know, so but you write a book about it, and and a book is a metaphor. You know, and Call Me Hunter is a metaphor. Call Me Hunter is the truth. Call Me Hunter is real. And and so is our world. So so again, you know, and I'm 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 not comparing myself to those great writers. Although, if I could, if anybody one day down the road would say that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and I had, you know, we were we were both good writers, I you know, I, I would rest easy for eternity. But um, but yeah, what I've done is 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 
tell a story about our world today. And, and, and like I say, is it truth or is it fiction? It's for everybody to decide. It's abstract. You, 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 have, to, you have to read it to uh, make your own, draw your own conclusions. Sure. Well, that's the 80-20, right? There's so many times I was scratching at, at, at a story. I'm like, which part of this is the 20? Or is the 20 really a 2? And it's... <laughs> you know, uh, well, I guess I caveat it with the part that would put anybody in jail. Right, right. That's important. And I, I there's thought... some things in the story that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, there's so many things that aren't in the story. You know, I, I tried to get, I went into Iran, Iran. Um, back in 2004 and try to get in the next year and my you know they said no you're a spy and i tried to get in the next year after that and they said no you're a spy and um so i waited and the felt my connection over there um siamat connoisseri great guy um but he was you know great guy but he was part of the revolution on the mm -hmm. student side so he was you know he's an enemy at one time right um but um you know, when the students lost to the fundamentalists, the communists and the students and the fundamentalists all fought after the Shah was deposed, um, the students lost. So he was put under house arrest and and he could still travel within Iran, but he couldn't leave. But uh, 2007, him and I decided, no, let's, because I went in 2004 with him and, and um, you know, he was my connection there. In 2008, um, we said, okay, well, we'll try again. So I applied for a visa. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't get a hold of CMAC. Nothing n n off the grid. And um, I, I so I didn't get back in 2009. 2010, I found another connection. Um, and and I got it. This time, I got a visa. And I went back into Iran and traveled all over the place. I mean, had a vehicle. We just went everywhere. And, um, and I, you know, I kept asking, what happened to CMAC? What happened to CMAC? And they, finally, after about three weeks, I think they, you know, they, felt comfortable enough to tell me that uh, CMAC was at a family reunion with his wife, his two kids, his mother, father, brother, sisters, and, you know, every single one of the extended family except one were, were killed. So, you know, this is all real. This is real. And, and you know, so when I'm saying 20% and, you know, 80, my tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. What was I doing there? What was I in Afghanistan for? What was I in Pakistan for? What was I doing in Azerbaijan, you know, Kazakhstan? What you know, what 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 was I doing there? And and this is why I want that question in people's mind. What what was he doing there? And that's the mixture of the reality, the the nonfiction part, the um, yeah, the uh, and the abstraction of of what. I was actually doing. Yeah, you thought I was there for hunting. Pretty good cover if you're doing something else, I would think. But hey, I'm just a storyteller. Although yeah. this is a story. And it's a great one at that. I mean, it's riveting for anybody who who's thinking about ordering this and, and checking it out. You know, I I highly suggest you do. There's so much richness to this. I'm learning a lot about you by like you said, you you suggest it in the preface, like go and Google some of these things, find these things out. And there's I mean, I, I know that now going through and some of the uh, characters and what is revealed, you know, I won't give any spoilers, but things that are revealed by reading it now going back through and reading it 
through that lens of understanding. And I'm sure there's just more layers of, of richness that comes from that. And, you know, you talked about a lot of the different things you mentioned earlier, like Hunter, he wasn't reading or writing at a young age. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a similar thing with you when you were younger and you had some issues with reading and stuff too, right? You know, what's interesting about that, uh, my grade three teacher, because grade three, I couldn't read. I mean, I couldn't I, see Dick run, see Jane go up the hill or whatever, see Spot does whatever Spot does. I, I couldn't read. And and so my teacher, Mrs. Miller, um, she suggested to my parents that they take, you know, me to a, to a child psychiatrist and, and have them tested, uh, you know, just find out what's going on here because this kid should everybody can read in the class except this kid and um and you know mrs miller has reached out to me just recently i sent her an advanced reader copy of of call me hunter so so it's kind of a full circle the, the wow uh, yeah the teacher that recognized that you know by grade three you should have some ability to read and um yeah that my parents did take me to a child psychiatrist it's in the book in in the in the book Hunter, at the time, he goes to the child psychologist, and this doctor recognizes that he can understand. He's looking through the pages. It's almost like a photographic memory of sorts. He's being able to absorb all the information to this book. They have a conversation about it. So it's not like that he couldn't absorb that information, even though the reading might be an issue. Is that something that you do you have a photographic mind? Like, do, are you able to see these things and kind of get them and you know, that'll lead to some other questions too, but I was curious about what what was that or was there something that you had that you had to work on to be able to kind of overcome some things when you were a kid? Sometimes silence is an answer. You know, you know what I do to a lot of people? I'll, I'll say, you know, like Cody Robbins. I'll say, you know what I like about you, Cody? And of course, every single time he'll go, what? Everybody wants to know what you like. And then I just don't answer. And I say silence is an answer. So, so you know, that's the easy way for me to answer your question. Uh, the reality was I, I was uh, bored. I, the, yeah. I, didn't want, I didn't want to read that. And I had a great interest in wildlife and animals and all things cultural, natural. Uh, and so the, the psychiatrist actually told my parents, you know, he gave me an IQ test. Uh, and um, told him the results and, and said, listen, you know, your kid has no problem with reading. Your kid just isn't interested in in what the teachers are trying to get him to read. Right. So they told my parents, take him to the library and take him to the wildlife section, you know, take him to the art section, take him to the sections of the library that he's interested in. And, and you know, don't please don't bring him back here anymore. So so that was. That's the truth. And by, as I said, by grade five, I was reading voraciously. I mean, I was reading adult level, whatever. It didn't, didn't matter if I was interested in it. I mean, J.A. Hunter, his book Hunter was, I mean, that was my Bible in those days, you know, figuratively speaking. I, I read it three times you know, in, in that one year. And I, I said it before, I, I was sent to detention by the teacher Many, many times because I was reading Jay Hunter's book, you know, when I should have been doing what reading whatever they're reading grade five. So, you know, and I, which was great. I went to detention and I could read my book. Right. So, 
Yeah, no, I, <laughs> Show them. I was, I was a voracious reader by the time I was, you know, two years after that. But yeah, it, it's uh, truth, you know, truth. And, and again, a, a tiny little bit of fiction. Do I have a photographic memory? I don't know. I, I do pretty good. But uh, I wouldn't say that I have a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. The child in the book, the character, Hunter, can read at a he, – he, he doesn't read. He assimilates what's on the pages. So it's not even a photographic memory. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. ability to just look at something and understand it. You know, page. Okay. Got it. Got it. With 100% retention. Um, and in the book, you know, I, I the the character Nyala, the journalist that is an investigative journalist, she starts researching about idiot savants, and and finds out that hey, that's not unusual. None of this is unusual. It, I no, I, I I rephrase that. It is unusual, but it's not. It doesn't exist. It does exist. It, people can do that. You know, read one hundred eighty thousand words a minute. I mean, that's two novels. In 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 or not a minute but an hour. I mean, you, yeah, you know, yeah. the pages basically they can read it, and they've been tested on it. You know, tested. You know, I, I think you'd probably want to take into account the who was doing the testing and for you know follow the money. But but it's speed reading, doing you know the assimilation of knowledge. We all know somebody who's just kind of brilliant that doesn't. You know, I, I mean, I know guys. Dave Ferguson, my buddy in in university, he never studied. He played guitar the whole time, and and he would go in and straight A's. You know, he just knew the stuff. You know, that's we all know people like that. Well, now imagine that's one in say, I don't know, maybe it's one in two hundred, it's five hundred. But imagine if you have someone who's one in a million, or even more, one in a billion. Right now, today, there's eight people walking around this planet that have abilities that you and I can't even comprehend. That's a fact, because it can't be otherwise. You, it, it can't be otherwise. Right. There's one in a billion. Whatever that talent is, and I don't know what it is. I mean, in, uh, little Mahomes there with the Chiefs, he's got some kind of special talents. No one can tell me different. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, there's, there's, you know, that's just a physical ability to play football. And, and comprehend plays and, and read the play ahead of the play. But there's people that have have senses that, that the rest of us just don't have, or, or we have, but we're, they're too, we're too busy in our cluttered lives, you know, we're on our cell phones, we're doing our daily jobs, which is the death of creativity. You know, so, so and I see it here in this museum, our Hand of Man Museum, and anybody Google it, it's, you know, 17,000 square feet, and it's not a regular museum. It's definitely outside the box on museums. But the reason it's called Hand of Man is because the Hand of Man Museum of Natural History, Cultural Arts, and Conservation, the museum is filled with things that are touched by mankind, humans, people, whatever the politically correct, you know, us. Yeah. And so when you walk through here and there's totem poles carved, you know, by First Nations, um, there, there's beadwork by you know the American natives. There, there's masks from all over the world and outfits and wedding blankets from Siberia. I mean, there's just every cultural thing you can imagine. And back to the point, I have people walk through this museum down the grand hallway. We call it the Great Reveal when we open the sliding doors, and they're in tears by the time they get halfway back because 
they have a sense of the spirituality of everybody that made each of these pieces because that's all that's left of them on this planet, more than likely. No yeah. one remembers no one remembers anything about them, but there's their work of art on the wall, and their spirit resides in that piece. Absolutely 100%, just as surely as you and I are talking right now. You know, God put it there, mm-hmm. or whatever your faith is. Right. There's a spirit of the people in that piece, and the people that are really switched on to it, they're in tears by the time they come back, and they're, you know, thank you, thank you. Well, like they're, they they sense something that, you know, the rest of us don't have. So, so back to Call Me Hunter, there's people that have abilities that we don't we can't comprehend and there's powers and forces out there that are not looking after yours and my best interests they're looking after their own best interests so you know does our world exist yes does hunter that character that turns into icarus that turns into tizu the man of swords does he exist absolutely and i mean tizu man of swords talk talk to first nations out here does it exist did that story that legend exist yeah it does Tizu, the man of sores. He shed his skin and and uh it was you know covered in sores and he provided deer for the for the tribe, for the family. You know, this and then the soul catcher does it exist. You know, that's the whole premise of the story. This soul catcher right. is the greatest single work of art that ever existed, ever created by man, you know, or God using the hand of man to create it. So what is it? You know, who what's what is the soul catcher? And and that's that's the whole premise is that our world has been seeking the soul catcher for for well, hundreds of years, and they are not sure if it exists or not. But they they get they constantly getting vibrations on their threads, and they're like a spider sitting in the second in the center of it. That there's the vibr the the soul catcher is going to show up a vibration in the thread. Send 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 the operatives to try and locate to recognize it because they don't know what it is. They don't. They don't. They just know it's the soul catcher. It's the greatest work of art of all humankind. So, so yeah, that, that's that's the premise. As you can see, I, I had a lot of fun writing it, and and it's a complicated. Oh. It's layer upon layer. You can read it. You could read it on a beach, but but you're gonna miss. You're gonna get the facile top level layer. You're, you know, and the deeper you dig, the more layers there is to Call Me Hunter. Oh, it, 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 it definitely is that it's not something that there were some times where I was confused and there, you know, there's different, there's, you know, a character whose name we just mentioned changes. And so there's some times where you just have to follow it, but then those threads get tied up and you learn later on, oh, okay, I was confused, but now I get this, I understand. And then just like the idea of, you know, it's not just a linear story. There's so many different angles and things that are over, you know, weaved throughout it. And it's, it really is. It's a, it's a masterpiece. I mean, Jim, I am, I'm beyond impressed. And I, I really do feel like, you know, I think Jack Carr said it best. It's like, it deserves its own shelf. It's something that's just, it's different. And, um, but at the same time, I feel like it's very accessible. Anybody who reads it is going to get a lot from it. Um, and those people who dig deep are really going to learn a lot about you and about, you know, things that are on a larger scale. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited. What does it feel like for you to have been working on this in your head for you know 25 years to have that printed copy in your hands what is that like for you you know it, it meant a lot more to see it in in uh, louise's my my soulmate's hands we they they actually overnighted 
the first one off the the presses just to get it so she could see it um, before she passed on and you know I, and she held it she because she's been part of this life that that you know, I've lived that is call me hunter and and uh, you know so that that was the culmination of our you know and, and she's sacrificed you know to and to, to write a book you know it, it takes. It takes discipline and it, it takes motivation, desire, but it takes time. And when I'm sitting writing and I'm living in that world, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not mowing the lawn or, or do, you know, just being with, with Louise. So she sacrificed as well to make this happen. So that, that, that was really the, um, the high point for me was that Louise got to hold it. And I read it to her out loud twice. You know, once at the beginning on the earlier version of the manuscript, and then I rewrote, you know, I added an ending different. I added four chapters from the second book to the first book just to, to wrap up ends, you know, the, rather than leave it as a cliffhanger. Um, and I read it out loud to Louise twice. And, and so she, you know, it was very special for for her and I. And, and to see her holding it was uh yeah, that meant a lot more than than me personally holding it. You know, I, I set goals and I I attain goals. That's that's I, and I don't care if the goal takes half a century, you know, to attain. I'm I, you know I'm capable of focusing for half a century. Probably not anymore. I'm going to have to re revisit the the century long or half century long goal. Maybe twenty five years. Yeah, thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Me. <laughs> I'm hoping for more, but yeah, I understand what you mean. <laughs> Yeah, so so to hold it, but but again, I I don't, you know, I've never lived in the past. Mm -hmm. I, it's not my style. I, I what happened right. yesterday happened yesterday. I cannot change whatever happened yesterday. I made every decision leading up to yesterday based on my best ability, and and worked hard and never wasted a day. And I, I literally don't have a single regret. Oh, someone asked me that the other day. I said no, none. They said, come on, you got to have something, you know, no, there, there literally is not one single regret in my life, not one. And I, and I, you know, so, so that means, you know, I did everything I could to yesterday. Why would I have a regret about it? I, I did everything. So yesterday for me is, is I, I live, I live in the present, you know, I'm here right now with you present. Yeah. But I, I spend most of my, my cerebral time in the future. Um, so, so you know, back to your question, how did it feel? You know, great. Uh, the most important part was to see Louise that she saw that this goal was attained because she knew right from the beginning. She always felt I was a, well, you know, she thought I was a great writer. And I'm using her words. I'm not saying that. She just loved. I'd read her the articles I'd write. I'd read her the stories I'd write, and and it and it meant a ton to her, a ton that it that this book came out. You know, it's my story, and here it yeah. is. Well, this isn't a, a short story for a periodical. It's not. I've written thousands of those, or a thousand of those. Sure, this is actual a, a story. And but but I'm trying to answer your question and back to it again. The, yeah. The, uh, what did it feel like? It, it kind of felt like okay, that's past, and yeah. what's what's next? Now it's not. You know, anybody. You know, now Simon and Schuster, New York City published it. So, so I think I believe they're doing 125,000 copies, which is a incredibly high number for a first-time novelist. Um, but my 
I, you know, how did it feel? Okay, it feels like now the work really starts. I need to get this book into people's hands because I do believe it'll change the perspective on on. Uh, it, it'll act as a catalyst to change the perspective on hunting and hunters, mm-hmm. the field to table lifestyle, the outdoors people, the people that live in rural areas, that ranchers, farmers. I. I I believe that this book will start changing the urban perspective on who we are, you know, and and that's the majority is the urbanites. It needs to get into their hands. They need to, they need to. the The tolerance isn't necessarily pointed at you and I, you know. I think we let. I, I mean, I haven't met anybody yet in our world that, and I don't mean our world, the organization, right. our world, that that. <laughs> Isn't a good person a good family? People, they're you know they 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 just and they tolerate people. They oh yeah okay yeah that's what you are that's yeah, that's what you believe that's great. <clears throat> but you know we're, we're being you know, we're being so shifted over the side and painted with you know this color. This is what we are, right? And, and it's not what we are, you know. It's and so who's doing that? This book is designed to reach into their houses with our message and say, hey, you know. Maybe you want to rethink what your ideologies are. Maybe you want to rethink your your judgment of of people that live this lifestyle. Maybe they're not so bad, and maybe you know they're they're actually pretty intelligent. Some of them, at least. And you know, once you get thinking that, then you realize no, they all have something good. Every single person out there has some good thing inside them somewhere. You might have to dig pretty deep for for some. And, and for I some. mean, I'm not, I'm not including psychopaths. And the world's not. got those, but um, you know, just because they're a different color, because they eat different foods, they dress differently, because they speak a different language, they come from a faraway place, they have a different religion, doesn't make them evil or bad or wrong, you know. So we need to start being more tolerant again. That's that's what that's meant to do. But yeah. you have to play, you have to play inside their game. You know, just, just a funny story about that i when i first wrote it you know my agent esther Petrkovich said it to 10 literary publishers so they published literature you know with mm-hmm. literature and because it's you know because it is such a multifaceted deep metaphoric i mean you, you know it's not a rich yeah it's not a it, it, it's it, it is almost literature well it should be but um not one of them read it. They all sent a, the manuscript back, and they said, uh, "With an, every one of them said, no, we Googled the guy. He can't possibly write literature. Impossible. I'm so, sure it's cited. It, well, but this is, this is. Yeah. This is, you know, and I, they judged me. They judged me because, yeah, he wears a cowboy hat. <laughs> he's not a professor. He doesn't have a literature degree. You know, he's not down and out. He's not suicidal. He's not, you know, got a every vice in the world and and you know from that low place is writing you know fine work of art he can't possibly do it because he's kind of together has a family you know grandchildren dresses like a like this and he and he hunts you know so 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 they sent it back so that's what it, that's why it ended up in commercial fiction with simon and schuster is uh, and they had to slot it somewhere so they they put it in the thr- thriller category, and it, it, it you know to a degree it is, you know there's there's certainly that that's the closest. I don't, you wouldn't put it 
I mean, you would possibly put it in romance, but uh, it, it certainly isn't a Harlequin. Right. And, and, and you won't find any of that until the second, the second and third book. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's all down the road. But yeah, I like it. It's, it felt great having the book, but it's it's past. Okay, now yeah. let's put it out there to everybody, to as many people. Even if, if every hunter bought this, that would make Simon & Schuster enough money. And it doesn't make me money. Trust me. I, you know, I, I, I literally make more money going to my mailbox and, and running my you know empire than I do doing this. But, but if it makes them money, it's going to open the doors for more of these type of books that show characters that have the stereotypes reversed. And and we haven't had an opportunity to do that since Hemingway and Ruark, those guys back 60, 1960, when Kennedy was assassinated. That pretty well closed the door on us. You know, and, and so this'll this will hopefully start that. I mean, that's yeah, a big it's a big goal and a big dream, but um, that would be my goal. And we can do it. We can do it within our own organization, our hunting world, people like minded people. And so my goal at this point is to to let all of them know. Even if you don't want, to, you don't like reading, get the audiobook. I mean, I, I personally read the second person perspectives in the book. So any of the italicized sections of Tzu talking, that I that that's second person, which is never done in a novel. It's just it's so rare. Yeah, you know, like I don't know. There's maybe four examples somewhere. Right. There's right. probably. A, literature going no 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 there's five you know but but uh you know it's the second person perspectives in a novel it's done in autobiographies but not in not in novels and so i read those parts and i got i told them i wanted scott brick to do the audio on the rest of it and, and they wanted seven readers to do various parts they sent me 21 names or 21 audio audio clips to pick and choose who i wanted to read the various characters and i said no I want Scott Brick. To me, he's the classic Clive Cussler. He did, you know, Michael Crichton books. He's he's Scott Brick is is super cool. I don't I never met him, but uh, they said that hundred percent. If you want Scott Brick, we'll get Scott Brick. So hunters, you know, you're in your truck somewhere, driving wherever, you know, get the audiobook. But like I say, if if enough of us get behind this, we can move the needle, you know, for what is acceptable in mainstream. And once we get there, then we can tell our story. And our narrative is is a wonderful, beautiful green, you know, like field of table living is, you know, this is our temples. And, and, you know, we take care of these temples. So, and everybody else wants to. It's just hard to do on the 23rd floor of a high rise in New York City. So, but if we show them, if they read this and enough of us buy it so that they allow more of these stories right. to get out. I think it'll it'll be a great service. It'll it'll start swinging that pendulum back the other way. Jack Carr's already started. You know his his character, uh, James Reese. I mean the guy's right. a hunter. You know he's a hunter, and that's so he's you know it's pretty masculine his book his writing. So it's you know you know there's a segment that oh well hoo hoo, well okay you know here try this one. You know this is a little different now. It's a female character as the protagonist. Young lady, you know, and I don't want to give it away, but uh, well, I can't. I, I don't want to say because it'll, it'll yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, I know. But again, it just. <laughs> I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that's that's my goal in the future. Now is to is to get this out into as many hands as we can. Everybody out there listening, buy ten copies for your mother. You know, like the Rolling Stones uh, was uh, what was that uh, Five Man Electrical Band? 
Yeah. Buy five copies from my mother. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I just give them away. But it doesn't matter as long as we're, I, I honestly think it'll make a difference. It's not about money. We're giving this whole museum away to a society, the, the land, the building, the contents, and an endowment to cover expenses for 40 years. So it'll always be donation. You know, I grew up in a trailer park, so I couldn't have come in with a $1 cover charge. So it'll never be a cover charge in this museum as long as I can reach back from the grave and control the board of directors. So this isn't about money. I'm going to give it all away anyway. You know, it's not, I don't need, look at it. You know, I've got 20 cowboy hats still in boxes waiting for, you know, when this one wears out. So right. I, I don't need a lot. And Cabela's gives me clothing. So, you know, I, I don't want the money. I don't don't need it. I give, I'll give it all away anyway. So it's not about that because anyone out there that's, oh, he just does it for money. No. No, I really, truly believe that this will this book will make a difference if if it goes well. If I can get on talk shows and I can talk about you know hunters and hunting because that'll come up. What, what about your past? You killed sure. a lot of animals. you know. Okay, well you, you know let's talk about that. Let's talk about the conservation of these species and let's talk about your ideology and what's inherently wrong with the way you're thinking and how it's hurting wildlife. You know, the, give me a voice and and. The way we get a voice or give us a voice as hunters, the way we get a voice is by playing their world, playing in their world. Because you know what? It's our world too. Wow. It's well said. You know, the idea that people who are anti-hunting, like the idea of not hunting is a very new and very foreign concept. We would not be here talking to each other if our ancestors didn't survive for millennia to be able to get to this point. And hunters, regardless of what anybody else may say, are the ones who are putting back the funding, which is the important part, right? And the awareness to conservation and to being able to increase the the habitats of wildlife and being able to make sure that some of those wild places stay wild. And I think that that goes way over people's heads. They don't recognize that we are the ones that are doing the most of the conservation work or at least funding it, which is very imperative. And, you know, that's one of many tenets of things we need to do Buy this book, share it with your friends, get this awareness out and being able to do so much. And, you know, like you said, too, being able to have an endowment and being able to have something free where people can come and appreciate these arts, reach back into the relics of our past, really understand where, you know, these riches of, of, of our lives come from and how we are here. And I, I was, you know, in, in that thread too, I was curious, is there some pieces of artwork or artifacts that you found that have just kind of came out and put a rainbow in the middle of that brown on brown that may be around you? There's some things that you're like, wow. And that may be now in the hand of man museum, kind of like some of the, not, I'm not comparing you to an operative of the art world, our world sense, but I was curious if there's been some things in your travel throughout all these countries that you've walked upon something of such rare and magnificent uh, beauty that is just something that was so profound and maybe someone's donated or maybe you brought back to the museum or something you'd like to tell a story about. The, the uh, you know, and I know you said you didn't want to compare it to the operative. The, every single piece in here in this museum and, and you know, donations aside there there really is only there's a large marlin mounted marlin that was donated uh a crystal from ron coleman coleman mines fantastic um and there's a, a whale skeleton as well donated but but for the most part i mean 
I don't know, there's probably 200,000 objects in here. I found them. You know, now some of the arrowheads, you know, I, I, they came from people that found them 100 years ago. Right. And, I, you know, I got them out of their collections. So I found them in their collections, not actually sure. on the ground. Although I found thousands of these these artifacts, you know, looking myself. But, but all the art pieces, they're pieces that spoke to me. They weren't donated. Someone didn't just come in out of the blue and give them. I picked and chose them. And why? Why was that? What, you know, I sincerely believe, back to what I was saying, and maybe, you know, people going, oh, heebie-jeebie. No, I, I believe here, you know, I'll say it, the Spirit of God resides. Look around us. You, you want to deny that there's a God? Uh, come on. You know, and, and I believe that that Spirit, whatever it is, and, and I'm not I'm not promulgating any particular religion or faith, you know, or, or denigrating any other mm -hmm. religion or faith from where it is around the world. Animism, Hinduism, you know, Islam. I, I, you know, I'm not denigrating any other religion. I, I'm just saying that whatever the creator that they all, even the First Nations, are creator. Sure. I believe that often the 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 work works of art that are the best came from a higher source than the person that made it that created it, and and these pieces that are in this museum, every single one of them. It has it's spoken to me. That's why they're here. Now, sure, I've seen pieces in museums around the world that are beautiful, and and in in situ in places, you know, where where with shrines. I mean, Romania. You you know, going through the villages and seeing the crosses that are you know like eight feet tall in people's front yards, they're spectacular. But you know, how are you going to bring one of those back? You, you know, you you. Although over time, probably there would be. You know, sale of of those objects too. Although mostly they'll just rot away. But um, I was never able to bring one of those back. But but spectacular. The um, so you know I get asked a similar question whether there's any one piece in here that that means more to me. And, and the way I answer it is no, there isn't. There's not one. There's pieces that are more valuable money wise in the marketplace. But you know, and some extremely valuable. You know, like there's one piece that I, I've, you know, when we had pieces at home that were, you know, Louise and I, everything from our home were, is coming to the museum. We're donating mm -hmm. it all, and and but we lived with those pieces. But I'm bringing one in today, that's uh, you know, it's hundred fifty thousand dollars, and and you know, so it's valuable money wise. But it's not any more important than I can see out my window right here. You know, at a Bamlicky mask from the Cameroon grasslands, and why? It's because the person that made it is equal to the person that made the Sistine Chapel, equal to Michelangelo. We are all equal. Da Vinci was wonderful, wonderful works of art, but that doesn't make what he created intrinsically more important than you know this piece right out my window, you know, a sampler from, from the Hutterite colonies or, or, you know, a Hindu wedding, embroidered wedding blanket. There's Amish quilts. There's, you know, Dukabor woven kavior and palas and Darushka rugs, you know, in the museum. They're, you know, and the reason is because we are all equal as human beings. And, and that means whatever we created is just as valid as long as it was created with that you know, soul with that spirit, 
and and for a purity of purpose, whether it was ceremonial, whether it was religious, mm -hmm. whether it was whether it was just out of love. You know, I, I've got a Valentine's box here that was carved, and, and you know, it was love. It was folk art, but it's love. It's you know, it's it, so whether it's ethnocentric or idiosyncratic does not matter. The person that makes it made the piece, each individual piece. That's what matters, and they're all equal in my mind. So I do not have a, I don't have a special piece or a special memory about each one because every single one of these spoke to me, as I, you know, I see it, you know. And these are not tourist pieces. They're they're, and again, it harkens back to call me hunter, the ability to sense beauty, the you know the ability to recognize it, whatever that is, and it may be just for you that beauty. You know, people ask, what do I decorate my house with? Well, decorate it with whatever you want to decorate it with. You don't need to have a decorator so it doesn't offend some other people that come into your house. If you love it, buy it. Because yeah. it's talking that thing is talking to you. It may be garish to someone else, but if it speaks to you, it's you, you know, that's because the spirit of the person that made it. Now if it's factory made, you know, days made in Japan, was it Paul Revere and the Raiders? You know, all, all the, uh, yeah, yeah, Cherokee people, Cherokee. Yeah, all the, all the things we made by hand are now made a day's made in Japan. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's made in China, made, you know, factory, blah, 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 and, and stuck on your wall, there's no art in that. There's, there's no, no soul, soul to it. Mm -mm. It's absolutely soulless. And I, I walk into houses all the time, and I, I'm not judging because – if they want to live a soulless existence, who am I to judge that? I guess I am judging, you know. But but again, it's not a. And you, people can say I can't afford it. Bull bull crap! You can go to a garage sale and you'll find something that's handmade by somebody that made meant something. You know, a tool. You know, there's lots of hand forged tools. They're super cool. You know, tools that were used. You yeah. know, that were. You know, beautiful. They they to live with those. I see you like. I, when it's funny when I do these podcasts, I can I um I get a sense of the podcaster, mm -hmm. interviewer by what's behind them, and and you know to see you with the arrowheads and the books is fabulous. You know Jack Carr's behind him is all books, and you know and now you know, of course he's he's got yeah. a and I've got, got all a, his here too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know you got to be responsible to to who brought you to the dance. You know I've got my mm -hmm. my little yeah. stuff behind me, but we also do this out in the actual museum with dinosaur skeletons and woolly mammoth skeletons and, you know, whale skeletons, narwhale. I've got it. We've got it all here. Elk, moose, you know, and mounts, but then also the cultural objects like a 23 foot New Chalneth whaling canoe, you know, thing dugout. I mean, from the West coast here, Northwest coast. I mean, so yeah, the, back to your original question, the, um, there isn't a, a single piece. There's pieces that I have family memories. For sure, like my dad's last moose is on the wall, you know, where he hit it through the first bullet through one of the tines. You can still see the hole, you know. So, th th but those are that's a different type of um, value, you know. That's that's a that's a personal personal object that brings back a memory of a of an event or an accomplishment. Which for my dad at seventy nine, getting his moose. That's and there's Eva, our daughter's first moose, a little tiny tiny one down in the corner. You'll if anybody comes to the museum, they'll see that too. So you know those those are those are different types of memories. But as far as the objects in the museum, they're all equal. Every single one of them is taxidermy mounts. That's artistry. 
you know, that's those are artists that do those right. tax remodels. Every one of those are just as important as the next one. So, yeah, I mean, there's no no one piece that has a particular, you know, importance because they're all important. Well, that, that that's a great answer, and I'm glad you elaborated with that too. I mean, the, all the different places you've been and the things that have the story. Oh, what's this? Well, that's when I met these people, and they invited me to this ceremony or whatever it could be. Like the story that comes from that thing. You know, that idea that some people think about like hunters, oh, that's just a trophy. They just want to look over and they've dominated that. No, it's like that might have taken them 40 years to be able to get on that hunt. And they were there with their father or their friends or their daughter or their son. And there's it's the story. It's the things that come together and that connectivity with human beings and you know our own hearts and souls that I think there's people you understand it. I understand it. Other people who are in the same breath understand that kind of idea. But it's something that I think. Like you talked about too, the richness of that education and and being able to bring that tolerance around with your book. It's another you know valuable aspect that I think people understand the richness thereof. Um, I know you have some other things to do today, so I want to ask a few more questions before we head out. You've got a book tour coming out for Call Me Hunter. Um, I see that you've got I think almost like 10, 12 different dates over here. You're going to be traveling all around. Um, can you kind of give us an idea for those who are going to be Going to this, what does that format look like? What are you going to be doing? You're going to be doing some readings, some interviews, some signing pictures. What exactly does that look like so far? Well, first of all, do not mistake me for someone that is, you know, like I am not on a need to know basis, apparently. So, so you know, I, I know I have to be picked up tomorrow morning and, and taken to the airport and I'm flying off to North Carolina and I have an appearance in Cary. Just this morning, I actually told the, um, you know, my people here that are organizing our side of it, that make sure there's there's a tall stool. Like I'm sitting on a tall stool right now. But for me to sit, you know, crunch down into a chair and then, you know, everyone's standing up that's coming up to me. So I'm down low like this, signing, <laughs> you know, hey, how you doing? Yeah, great. You know, and then I have to get out of that chair, like a jumping jack to take a picture and then sit back down and sign it. You know, I, it's been a lot of years since I've done appearances like this. So, you know, I, I was just rusty and my crew didn't even think about that. I said, no, there has to be tall table, like what I'm sitting at right now and a tall stool. So I, you know, I can get up that easily and, yeah, and just yeah. talking at people, you know, most I'm pretty tall sitting on a stool. I'm, you know, about eye level with most people. So I, I can look at them when I'm talking and not be like this in a chair and then have to hop up. I mean, you hop up, 500 times in a in two hours it's it's like a workout so and, and my knees i'm trying to save them whatever for as long as i possibly <laughs> so so back to what's happening i uh, you know i i think each i'm doing it all at cabela's and basketball shops not all there is some at, at book mm -hmm. stores i know jack Carr is, is actually coming to be with me on one of them um in arizona oh, wonderful yeah. Yeah, yeah Glendale, cool. Arizona, on October twenty fifth. Okay, is that the one that Jack's coming? I don't know, but I, well, uh, that's an Arizona one, so I, maybe okay, that's yeah, it. But yeah, maybe not. Okay, yeah, probably is, and I don't know. I, I think I don't know if it's a book club or bookstore. Like, okay, I'm, got it, got it. Need to know basis, and I'm yeah. not that up on the food. Show thing. up here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Bring your bring your pens and your hands. Bring your pen. Work out yeah. the arms. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I think and when they were doing these, I said, why don't we do them at the Bass Pro and Cabela's stores. I mean, I love Bass Pro and Cabela's. Johnny Morris, oh, yeah. one of the greatest conservationists, and John Paul 
his son. I mean, th these guys, they walk the walk on conservation. They're wonders of wildlife museum aquarium is just i mean it's it's beyond world class and you know he puts his money exactly in what he believes in which is conservation so i said let's let's do the book signings at, at cabela's and bass pro stores uh, you know as many as we can and they pick them i know a lot of people are on facebook and and uh, instagram right now saying why aren't you here in wyoming why aren't you in oregon why aren't you here why aren't you here well i, I didn't choose and 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 I, you know, there's only so many places I can get to, but I will right. try and make it to every state, you know, eventually on this and, and do these appearances so I can personally sign the books that people have. They, um, I believe each store and every single Cabela store and every single Bass Pro Shop store will have Call Me Hunter. I believe this is the only book. It's the only fiction book they've ever sold. And they, I believe it's the only book that's going to be in every single store uh, some of them you might have to look for, but some of them I think have a, you know, have a I don't know if they have a stand up, you know, me I don't display know. or something, right? Yeah, but but e each of these appearances, I believe they're bringing in 250 copies of Call Me Hunter, and so people can, you know, as long as they're in the first 250, they can buy it, which I'm sure, you know, hopefully, I mean, I'd like to see 500 people on one hand, but on the other hand, I don't want anybody to go home without a book, but they are, they will have 500 to, and. Anybody right now can order them on online um, from any of the major bookstores too. Mm -hmm. um, Chapters and Barnes and Noble—they're all selling it. Uh, so, so that's great to to buy from them too. Um, but uh, yeah, that's as near as I can tell. People come in, and I have hopefully a high table and a high stool, so I can look you in the eye and take a picture. And and uh, you know, depending on how many people, I, I'm gonna—I hate ever leaving anybody not. You know, I just hate it. It's just not my style. I mean, I'll, I'll wait till the last minute, but I know they've got me on a fairly tight schedule for travel. So, you know, I might have handlers that make me, but I'll still go down the lineup, say hello to everybody as best as I can. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do I'll do anything I possibly can to to meet and greet every single person that's out there. And, and uh, let like I say, let's 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 turn this into a, a party. I, I just I can use a little bit of of fun and, and uh, a joy. So let's, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to, to meeting everybody listening and, and all the people that are fans or that want to buy the book. And, and, you know, I think another good thing about it too, by having in the Bass Pro and Cabela's, anyone that's, you know, sort of the, the reader world, not our outdoor world, they have to come to Cabela's or Bass Pro to, to meet the writer of this book. You know, the author, you know, normally they, you know, they would never go to a place like that. Well, now here, here's what we're like. Look at this is families. These are people that are good, you know, people, patriotic people that that love their country and and uh, I, you know I, I think it would do a great service to to mix these as opposed to a bookstore where not necessarily all of us would go to, but Cabela's and Basketball were kind of comfortable. So we'll see how many actual people that are you know book people. We'll make that effort because it's out of their comfort zone to walk in a Bass Pro Cabela's. And especially if you've got, you know, 300 people there all having fun and laughing and telling stories and, and being who we are. I mean, that's that's who we are. It's camaraderie, friendship, family, storytelling, traditions. This is who we are. And they get to actually meet us in our element as opposed to reading about us in some, you know, way, you know, jaundiced version you know that's because it's 
that's what the popular press has been staring typing us like. So now they get to see what we're really like. I, I think it'll be an interesting, uh, an interesting event in every place. But yeah, let, let's tear this house down with it and have some fun at these at these appearances. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, not I literally tear the house down. By yeah, the way. yeah. <laughs> Bass Pro, we will not do that. We promise, Cabela's. Sorry, <laughs> it's going to be amazing, man. I can't wait to to you know see you when you come through in Texas. And I, I know I, I highly encourage everybody pre-order your book go and bring one because the 250 i think that's going to be gone quick so you should bring your own if you want to get one signed if if if, if they allow that and um you know before we kind of you know head off i i wanted to ask you and i think a lot of the things kind of tie in really nicely to this question um is about your personal and professional legacy what is it that you want that to be and how what like your perception of your own legacy and and if you can just kind of explain maybe what it is that you want to be known for as you, you know, step away one day into that, that final sunset. You know, someone told me, someone, so, someone told me, someone wrote it, um, that it, it, what you accomplish in your life is kind of irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's what they remember you for when you're gone. And, and you know, people, they, you know, we're just humans. We, we don't remember one generation like it's just gone so so to me it I would love I mean this museum will carry on I'll make sure there's enough money this is the legacy right here here it is you want the story here it is you'll you, yeah you'll exactly right this is the whole story this museum from my, my first seashell that I collected at 10 years of age is here you know so for this museum I collected it and so that you know, that's definitely part of the legacy. But that's this isn't the Jim Shockey Museum. You know, th- right. this is the Man Museum of Natural History, Cultural Arts, and Conservation. And Jim Shockey was the one that was was instrumental in putting it together. And Louise Shockey and my family. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's a little shrine in here for Louise that um, will always have fresh flowers. And it, you know, I I, I would. I guess like to be remembered a legacy of of made a, a positive difference on people's perception of hunters and hunting. You know, that would be that would be wonderful, you know, to to that you know actually you know push back that that goo, that's this black judgmental goo that we've been tarred with all these years and and you know, wow, here we are, you know, we got through it, led the way open the door to, to get us out into the sunlight and show everybody what we're really like, uh, you know, good people. Uh, that, that would be a, a wonderful legacy. And, and, you know, to be someone who, who showed the world how to be tolerant, helped show the world, you know, by example, you know, love showed the world what it, what it means to, to truly love somebody. And, and, uh, you know, th- those are, just I don't know being being a good a good person, you know as good as can be. I'm not you know like I say. I, I, trust me, I've got another book that'll be coming out fairly soon that uh, I wrote while Louise was going through this, you know, over the last year, and and it was fifty six stories of our you know our beginning, her grandparents, my grandparents, just but little stories that are personal stories of her childhood and you know how we met, things like that, and then you know I talk about. My childhood, you know, I could have been a a, a mastermind thief, you know, I, I could have been a criminal. You know, I, I had that opportunity. I think I'd I'd probably be great at it, and 
made a pile of money and still be walking around free, like there's many criminals right now that are have powerful positions. You know, so so I, you know, I had that option back then, and I talk about that. You know, here's, you know, when you're faced with the high road or the low road, you know, the low road's pretty easy to walk up. You know, I mean, it, 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 you know, it, but the high road, high road takes effort. You know, you have to really <clears throat> desire to be walking that road. So, so yeah, just legacy, legacy. I, you know, just want to be remembered as somebody who genuinely cared and devoted their life to, to making this world a more positive place, you know, and had great guidance from a, a soulmate that um, honestly was an angel on earth. That's mm -hmm. why she had to go back to heaven, you know, that early. So yeah, it'll be a legacy. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for being so open with all your feelings and your thoughts and, and your story with, with, you know, with, with me today, with your book, with your career and, you know, you've enriched and enlightened so many people. And I can't wait to read the future books, see the future interviews, talk to you uh, in, in person and being able to, you know, hopefully maybe even have you back on again sometime. We can talk about that, that next book or that next chapter, whatever goal you set out to achieve. And when you're achieving it, I want to be a part of that and hear about it all. And, I just want to thank you so much, Jim, for being here today. Um, before we sign off, I know there's going to be a lot of people who might want to know how can they follow this journey of all the things that you've done, that you're doing. And um, if you can maybe tell people, you know, your social media spots and your websites that people can go and follow. Sure. I mean, we're, you know, I've got uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, those, those are easy places because I live on those as far as what's happening in my daily life. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to follow what's going on. It's all there. You know, I don't, I don't sugarcoat it. It is what it is. Um, also, you can go to our website, jimshockey.com. You can check out our museum, handofman.org or .com. And I think if you type in hand of man, it will come up. Um, and that's in Vancouver Island, correct? Vancouver Island. Yeah. About an hour North of Victoria, anybody mm -hmm. that's coming up to this part of the world, the West side of Canada, it's worth coming up to the museum. I, yeah, I can't guarantee it, but you know, because there's one in a thousand people that walk in and hate me and hate everything. You know, they just it we'll is go for it. the the other nine hundred ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they, you know, they and they they love it, like literally love it. You can see the Google reviews. Um, so yeah, I'm easy to easy to reach, easy to follow, and and hopefully, you know, if Call Me Hunter makes enough waves, you know, you'll be able to see me on uh, some of the TV shows and whatnot, the talk shows and newscasts. And we'll see. We'll see if it if it gets picked up, you know, turned into a movie like Jack's book did. Then, then uh, you know, who knows? That, you know, but right now, that that's what I'll be working towards. And, and anybody who wants to follow along that journey, which is just a lot of hard work, yeah. Uh, but you know, not complaining because it's also a ton of fun with like minded people. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I do appearances at SCI's national convention in Nashville this year and. I'll be at SHOT Show and I'll be at Dallas Safari Club Show. You know, I think I'm doing a speaking at the Wild Sheep Federation and here in British Columbia, stuff like that. I'm around, but it's it's all going to be online. If you follow me on uh, Instagram, Facebook is a good one because that's a pretty engaged audience on Facebook, actually. Mm -hmm. People, you know, Instagram, not quite as much, but, you know, I, I, there's probably 430 or 40,000 
on Instagram, but 750,000 followers on Facebook. So it's a significant number, and it's a lot of fun because we we get into it sometimes. I'm not afraid to I'm not afraid to stand up and say, okay, let's let's duke it out here, buddy. You know, whatever you you know, I, I don't have I don't have much of a tolerance for intolerance. Boy, that's a terrible thing to say there because I think you should always be tolerant of everything. But I'm intolerant of I'm intolerant of intolerance. So there you go. There's a yeah. T-shirt that somewhere in there I can I can see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's important. No, well, thank you, Jim, once again for coming on and and being a part of this. And I I wish you all the the best travels for the book tour. Everyone, go check it out. Go get your copy of Call Me Hunter. It's a phenomenal book. Everyone, I think, is going to love it. And I know that it's just destined for great success. I can't wait to see it rise and see you continue to be able to share all the things in your life that are important with your family, with your heart, with your soul, with your art, with your museum and everything else that you put out there. And thank you for being so open and sharing so much of your life with all of us. It it really means a lot to me personally and everyone else I know. Oh, made, made my day. I'm going to get a big fat head. I won't be able to put my cowboy hat on. But yeah, <laughs> you thanks, stretch thanks. the next one out. <laughs> Well, cheers. You take care. We'll talk soon. You bet. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you.